most of what makes a book good is that we are reading it at the right moment for us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Welcome to the Simply Retirement Podcast with your host, Eric Blake. This show offers valuable insights and advice on retirement planning, specifically tailored for women. Join us as we explore various challenges that arise during retirement planning and discuss practical ways to overcome them. With years of experience in retirement planning as a financial professional, Eric brings a wealth of knowledge to the table. He is joined by guests who will also offer unique perspectives and insights. Together, they provide practical tips and strategies to help you delegate some of the heavy lifting and make the most of your retirement. Whether you are a widow, divorced, or simply ready to take control of your financial future, this podcast is designed to help you navigate the complexities of retirement planning and make the most of this exciting phase of life. We take a step-by-step -step approach to help you understand what's next and guide you through the retirement planning journey. So sit back, relax, and let us help you build your retirement on your terms with another episode of the Simply Retirement Podcast with Eric Blake. Welcome to the Simply Retirement Podcast with your host, Eric Blake. I'm Wendy McConnell. I love that about the books because it's so true. You can read a book at one point and then read it like 10 years later and it's completely different. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And that's, and that's the thing there's, you know, I could have used, you know, the knowledge is power and there's so many different ones, but actually with the, uh, with our guest today, as you're going to hear, there's so many great quotes I could have used from her as well, uh, but I didn't want to spoil the conversation. Well, I'm not, I doubt that would happen. So what is it that we're going to be discussing? That is, are we going to talk about books? We are. As a matter of fact, we are. I'm so excited to have our guest on today. Uh, our audience may not yet be familiar with Ellen Rogan, but in my circles here in the, in the financial services industry, she is a rock star. And I'm so honored to have her on the podcast. Ellen is an authority on money, a financial intuitive, which I'm gonna, I would love to have her explain that to our audience when we get to that point. Uh, but Ellen helps people reshape their relationships with money so they can live happier, more abundant lives. She's the author of several books, actually, uh, including the New York Times bestseller, Picture Your Prosperity, and her newest book, Messages from Money, How to Stress Less, Prosper More, and Reshape Your Relationship to Money, which is what, again, we're going to be talking about today. So Ellen Rogan, welcome to the Simply Retirement Podcast. Thanks, Eric. I'm so excited to be here with you. Absolutely. Now, there is a quote that that I really wanted to use, and I would I would bet you know which one it is very early on in the book which I actually had heard the story before about the uh, the session you had with a gentleman that uh, where there was a specific word that was uh, that was brought up. <laughs> but I didn't want to, uh, and we'll get into the importance of, uh, of the word that came out of your mouth. Uh, but the audience is just going to have to read the book to find out what, what you said. Uh, so how's that for a tease? <laughs> That's good. I was worried with this audience, I would actually have to say that word, which I usually ask permission before. That. Now, yeah, you, I, I actually used a, a curse word in another episode, and uh, Wendy told me it's okay to you. So, that, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it was okay. I said it was okay. If I thought it was okay. <laughs> well, it was the name of a certain podcast, which Ellen, you're actually familiar with the uh, the. I think this episode actually is going to be released before that one, uh, but it's the uh, the purse strings ladies, which you're mm -hmm. better familiar with. Uh, which actually, that's how I got to know them was through you. I've told this story before. But uh, it was a Sunday morning, just getting ready to do my long morning walk, trying to find something on YouTube. 
And I came across that episode or the uh, the recording that you did with Barb Provost and had a chance to to listen to that, uh, reached out to her, joined Purse, Purse Strings, which you were also a member of as well. Uh, but it's just crazy how all these things get connected. And uh, now I've got you on the podcast. So I'm so excited. Well, I am too. And I love the synchronistic synchronicity when that happens. Like we can't <laughs> right. even figure out how all this weaves together. I love it. It's crazy. And it, it's led to so many great opportunities, so many great professionals I've I've met through uh, Purse Strings and some of the other interactions that I've had. I've told them I'm extremely thankful and I'm also thankful for you as well. But, uh, you know, the book itself, there's so many great things to pull out of that. And again, I say, I'm sure we're going to, I'm going to run out of time here at some point, but my first question before we get really get into the book is what is a financial intuitive? Because one of the things I, I know, my wife is so much more intuitive than I am, as are most women, <laughs> more intuitive. But when it comes to money, many women, they don't always trust that intuition. And whether it's from past experiences or different interactions they've had as a result of money or you know, family interactions as that had a connection to money, but so many, you know, it impacts decisions. So just t- tell me a little bit more about what that is. How do you, when you describe yourself as a an intuitive, what does that mean? Well, let's talk about financial intuition in general first, and then I can um, explain a little bit about what I do with that now. But intuition is one of the simplest definitions is knowing something without really knowing how you know it. And there is this thought that women tend to be more intuitive than men. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that all of us have these hunches, a gut feeling, and that may sound a little bit more kind of masculine, if you will, but this kind of inner knowing, and yet we don't always trust it. And I 100% agree that often, especially when it comes to money, women tend to be, I'm generalizing, not all women, but <laughs> some women feel less confident and maybe less trusting of that intuition. However, when I talk to women, they'll say like, I just have this feeling I'm not right with the right advisor, or I shouldn't make this decision. And when we can trust that intuition, we're usually guided a little bit more clearly. And often when we don't listen to that is when we're upset and we make a decision that we wish we hadn't made. Right. Well, so then let's let's get into the book then. What because again, the concept is so important. What was uh, tell a little bit about your inspiration behind the book, Messages for Money? So when I was a financial advisor for about 28 years and sold my practice a few years back, and I think I was always intuitive with people's money stuff, but had absolutely no idea that's what I was doing. I used to say things like, oh, I can tell if someone's going to be okay for their goals or retirement without even needing to know anything about their money, just from talking with them. And I thought at the time, which is is probably partially true, that I could hear how they were talking about money and just get a sense if they were a good saver, an overspender. But what um, happened in that story, I can briefly tell without the expletives, I was at a, (laughs) a conference where there were um, a lot of coaches and speakers. And in the evening, we were just, we were doing this program on tapping into our intuition and kind of building that intuitive muscle, if you will. And I was paired with this guy, James, and the way the exercise, this iteration of it worked is he was to think about a money issue he had. I had my hands on his back and he was to turn around and I was to deliver a message. And when he turned around out of my mouth comes F you for thinking you can't be spiritual and have me in your life, meaning money, like I was talking right. for money. And he pulls out from his shirt. He said, oh, oh my gosh, Ellen, I'm wearing this pendant. It's the patron saint of poverty. One of my clients gave it to me. 
Now looking back, I'm like, why would anyone ever wear a pendant with the patron scent of poverty? But okay. And he <laughs> took it off and I grabbed his hand and we started walking together. I'm like, oh, now I want to be with you. And it was the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me because clearly those were not my words coming out of my mouth. I like a good swear. I don't swear <laughs> at people at them and people I don't know, and certainly not in a professional setting. And so what ended up happening was, I think that was kind of this opening of just having this intuition about what's up with people with their money stuff and trusting that. And so now my process is when I meet with people and do, I call them intuitive money readings, I actually journal with what I think of as the energy of money. Now, I find with people, if they're like, well, like, I don't even, that doesn't land with me. That's totally cool. You can think of this as just a helpful metaphor, because I think we all have a relationship with money. We just don't think about it a lot. I mean, we talk about in ways that anthropomorphize money, like don't let your money out, don't outlive your money, don't be a slave to money, make your money work hard for you. Like we personify it. And I find that it's really valuable for people to think about if their relationship with money was like a personal relationship, even like a romantic relationship, what kind of partner are they to money? Like, are you someone that is caring and respectful? Are you someone that maybe is controlling or envious? Are you a user of money? Like you want it to just show up when you want it? You know, as an advisor, when people have a healthier relationship with their money, they make much better decisions than if it's swirling around in the background with a lot of unexamined beliefs. Well, and I think it's interesting that as you probably did when you're when your advisor talking to clients, you we stress the point that money is just a thing. It's an object, but there is so such an emotional connection for people. There was a, a, in a from a past episode, there was a, a social media post that was connected to that episode. But it said, we all have our emotional baggage when it comes to money. Have you ever considered how deep-rooted emotional issues may affect your financial journey? And one of my clients actually responded to that online. And she's getting your some of the stories I hear. That's it's part of the my passion for what I do. Why do I people ask why do we why does a man want to work with women and do retirement planning? Her response was exactly why, because her story was, you know, she's from originally from Australia. She came over here. At 30 years old, her husband left her. She couldn't afford to keep make the house payment. She ended up in government housing, but she didn't let that control the rest of her life. She went on to have a great career, earn six figures, retire. She travels wherever she wants to. She and her now husband. And it's one of those things that that's, that's what inspires me. But it's one of the things you also talk about is having a relationship one with money. So can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that and how shifting this can make a difference in your life and even your business if you're a you know, business owner? Yeah, I think it's helpful to maybe make a distinction that um, some of you listening may already know about scarcity thinking versus abundance thinking. Right. But um, let me define it a little bit. Scarcity thinking tends to be fear-based. Uh, worry for me to win, you have to lose. There's only so much to go around. It's aggressive competition. It can show up for people that are very genuinely good people. But when something good happens to a friend of theirs, instead of being totally excited for their friend, sometimes they'll be like, why isn't that me? Or so they'll either judge their friend or judge themselves. That's scarcity thinking. It feels bad and restrictive. Abundance thinking is there's more than enough to go around. It is generous, collaborative, optimistic. And you can certainly do okay or do very well financially with being a scarcity thinker. It just 
is sucks. Like it's hard. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? To worry all the time, worry you're going to lose what you had versus your client that you just told the story of that's like, oh my gosh, I had this bad thing happen and look what I did. I rebuilt, I'm traveling the world now. So when we can move more into abundance thinking, that's a really good step into us having a better relationship with our money. Um, And if you'd like, we can talk about ways to, when you catch yourself being in scarcity, thinking like, because we all have that, right? right? Even I think I'm very optimistic. I have a great relationship with money. It's not like I never have limiting thoughts or worry or, you know, where's the next speaking gig going to come from? Like that happens. The more quickly I can move through to the other side, the better things feel and actually the better results that I get. Right. Well, no, I think that would be a great idea is just to share some ideas, uh, some things that when you catch yourself thinking negatively, how can you snap yourself out of that? Or how can you steer yourself in the right direction again? Great. So I like to think about this in four different ways, because there's four different parts of our financial life or that this can be impacted. So the first part is aware. So being aware of what you think and say to yourself about money, because some of it is we just, it's the water we swim in for a lot of people. So there's no awareness at all. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is that the world's scary or that money's hard or whatever belief someone's telling themselves. So first it's being aware that you are in scarcity thinking. And one of the things I like to talk about when I do speaking is ask the audience if they know what the word abracadabra means. Right. And, and I don't know if you, do you remember this? I don't want to put you on the I spot. do know, but please go ahead. That was awesome. Yes. Okay. So what does abracadabra mean? So it's usually when you, well, I don't remember the exact meaning from, from your story, but I remember the story you telling why it's important, but it's actually, it's related to magic and something appearing uh, somewhere yeah, out of so nowhere. It's really related to that. It's got Hebrew and Aramaic roots right. and it translates into, I will create as spoken. I will create as spoken. Our okay. words matter. So being aware right. of that, it does end up being like magic then, right? Magic on things you don't want to have happen or magic on things that you do. So if you catch yourself, thinking or saying something you really don't want to have happen. Like, oh my God, what if we go into another global recession and it's like 2008 again and I lose my job and blah, blah, blah. Easy technique is to say, cancel clear. So cancel that thought, clear it away and replace it with something else instead. Sometimes it can be that easy. It doesn't have to be years and years of therapy. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but sometimes we can just get rid of a limiting belief by being aware of it. So that's the first part is being aware. The next part is being clear. And this is, um, you know, where a a good financial advisor like you can really support someone like, where do you want to go? Being clear, like, when is your retirement? Is that what you really want? Or do you just want to have the money so you know you could retire, but you love what you're doing and it goes on forever? So being clear where you want to go as the second part, being aware and then clear and then care, which is taking care of the material part of money. So we live in a material world. It's nice to talk about and important actually to talk about the ethereal side of things, how we're thinking about things, our beliefs, our attitudes. And in addition to this ethereal side, we live in a material world. And so this is where, you know, you're a a great financial advisor can really help you make really sound decisions. So you're taking care of things in your financial life. And then the last part is share. And this is about generosity. One of the things I like to say is that, generosity precedes prosperity. And when people are super freaked out about money, they tend to hold on really tightly to things. Right. And one of the best ways to move from scarcity to abundance is to loosen that grip a little bit. 
you know, how can you be a little bit more generous, generous with uh, your financial resources, having a plan, how much you could give, being generous with your energetic resources, whether that's volunteering or if you're in business, how how many referrals are you giving to people? So um, just as a high level overview, it's aware, clear, care, and share. Is that is that part of the four part create prosperity on purpose framework? Is that yeah. that's kind of a summary of what what you just gave us? Yeah, and I would say I call it um, the recipe for prosperity pie. But right. if you look I at these that. four areas, and and I know you know this, but what I see, what I saw the entire time I was an advisor, and what I still continue to see is almost all of the discussion is in the care area, which is important. This is like around doing a spending plan, having good asset allocations, doing retirement projections. Crucial. I'm not saying that is not important. And if we're not looking at the beliefs you have around money, where do you really want to go? Is it meaningful for you? How does it fit into your whole life? It's actually harder to have your goals be met if you're not looking at these other areas. No, and I 100% agree. That's It's one of the conversations that you know I, I try to have very early on is just making sure that we're on the same page that money is just a, a tool. It's not the it's not the end result. Uh it is simply how you accomplish the things that are most important to you. And asking those questions, you know, why is money important to you? What do you want it to do for you? And that's, you know, sometimes those conversations it, sometimes they're hard just because the clients don't haven't really thought about it before. Yeah. And I think that's really where, you know, a book like yours can really start opening up that thought process of, you know, what what it, what do I really want money to do for me? And I would maybe reframe this a little bit because abracadabra, our words matter, is that in addition to money being a tool to help you grow your goals, like how do you have a really great relationship with money and look at it that not only is money a good partner for you, it can have a seat at the table, but how are you being a good partner for money as well? Well, one of the things you also talked about that I was curious to get just to to share a little bit about it, you talked about journaling Mm -hmm. and also meditating when it comes to changing your thought process or at least understanding your thought process when it comes to money. Yeah. So we have something like 6,500 thoughts a day spinning through our mind. We're like chatter, chatty, 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 chatty. I use a story in the book about how when I moved to New York to go to graduate school, I had this really annoying roommate and she just never shut up. And it drove me crazy. I couldn't get out, wait to get out of that living arrangement. And sometimes we have that roommate living in our head all the time. And it's not always giving us good information. And one of the ways to quiet that annoying roommate down is to have a little bit more mindfulness practice to meditate. I 100% believe that what made my business successful, one of the best things I ever did was start a meditation practice because we can't hear our own good intentions or our own intuition if there's all this chatter all the time going on. And they found that people with a regular meditation practice, even after about eight weeks of about 12 minutes a day, are able to quiet that internal chatter down. And once you can be a little bit more quiet, you're able to make better decisions with that. So I think it's a really important tool that one people don't necessarily think of as a financial tool. But I know you know Like, it's really hard for you to do your best work when you've got a client that is just spinning in their mind and can't actually hear the really good advice that you're giving them. So if there's a way to quiet that down. I've never had that. What are you talking about? (laughs) Not your clients. (laughs) That's right. 
having a way to, and it can be simple. Like I have had a long-term meditation practice and it's something that I can't not do now. But for people that think like, oh, I could never do that. I can't sit still. Let me first um, get rid of one belief that people have about meditation that is not true, that then your mind is just quiet and it's still. Like if you're a monk meditating 12 (laughs) hours a day, maybe that happens. But for us mere mortals, that doesn't actually happen. Sometimes I'll sit for meditation and my mind is like going through stuff for almost the entire time. The muscle, the meditation um, bicep curl that you're doing is noticing your mind wandered and bringing it back. But you can do walking meditation. Runners will say that it's a really meditative process. It can just be a few deep breaths is a way to get present. Well, that's kind of the way I am. I try to, I, I set aside 10 minutes every morning and I'm still not very good at it. it my mind just, I, it usually it's something, unfortunately, it's, I don't want to call it unfortunately, but it's usually something related to a client interaction or a conversation or should I, I could have said that better or did this a little bit differently. That's usually where my mind goes. And then, uh, but like you said, it's just practice and trying to get better at it and doing it. Uh, and that's also for me, it's where it's the workouts in the morning. I'm an early morning person. So that's where I really, to me, that's really where the meditation comes in is just clearing your mind, focusing on something else. And, but it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's and you can't, you can't do it wrong. So when you say you're a bad <laughs> meditator, there's no such thing as a bad meditator. <laughs> Got it. Okay. They're I'll, I'll take that in. You really can't. And the fact that you're doing it is fabulous. And again, it's the noticing I was thinking about the client or whatever, what you have to get at the grocery store, whatever it is your mind's thinking about. And then like, oh yeah, I was focusing on my breath or listening to sounds or listening to a guided meditation, whatever it is type of meditation you're doing. So good for you that you do that on a regular basis. And Eric, it's a beautiful way to start your day Mm-hmm. Instead of what most people do is grab their phone and start looking at the news or email. <laughs> and that is an awful way to start your day. You know, no, studies yeah. have shown that people who watch even just five minutes in the news in the morning are less happy by the end of the day than people who don't. Well, because it's just always bad news. There's nothing good that happens, almost, at least <laughs> what you see on the news anyway. So talk. can you talk a little bit about the journaling aspect then? I know you yeah. you shared some different prompts, some different ideas on how to journal uh, in the book. So if you wouldn't mind touching on a few of those key uh, key suggestions. For sure. And let me just start by saying I was a resistant meditator. I mean, um, journaler. I was a resistant journaler. And then I saw some research studies on this. Um, one study had people that were laid off from a job and one group was told for just five days, to journal, I think it was 20 minutes for just five days. And the other group was not told to do that. And then six months later, the journaling group, 67% had new jobs and only 27% of the non-journaling group. So there's like real benefits for this. And one of my favorite, there's two journal prompts I'll share. One of my favorite ones for people in their own business, who should I be in touch with? Because that's tapping into that intuition and then follow up with them, right? The worst that can happen is you're saying like, hey, Eric, I was thinking about today. I hope you're doing really well. Then Eric would be like, oh, that's cool. Ellen was thinking about me today. Best, it might turn into, oh, that's so funny. I was thinking about you too. Let's have a conversation. I've got this opportunity for you or whatever it is. And so who should I be in touch with today? Another one that's really good, especially if people are starting to develop their own relationship with money, is to journal about, dear money, what would you like me to know? And when I do this in workshops that I give, people get beautiful messages. I Saturday, I was with a group. Um, we did like a book club thing. And mo- many of the people had like, I've got your back. 
you're going to be okay. Everything's fine. And that's so reassuring because we can right. spend a lot of time worrying. Absolutely. Now, I know that one of the things that I really loved about uh, the book towards getting towards the latter part of the book was, you know, we talk about goal setting all the time, talk about setting goals. and But what you talked about was goal getting process and why money itself can't be the goal and definitely not more money. That can't be the goal. You know, talking about the what, the why, the beliefs and, and who else wins. And I know you've touched on a few of these things, but in terms of just putting it all together into what you call the goal getting process, can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think um, for many years, and especially being in financial services, most of the goals that we were kind of coached to focus on were the money goals or the asset goals or the number of new client goals. And not that that's not a benchmark and not that you don't focus on that. But what I found for me and I found true for most of the people that I talked to, that in and of itself wasn't motivating. What was more motivating and where I really saw my business change, and I've seen over and over with some of the people that I'm working with, is when they could get deeply in touch with why they cared about that. Why is it that you want to make more money? Is it because you could serve more people and you know that you're really easing suffering for them? Is it that you really want to send your kids to college and in or in wherever they want to go? And in order to do that, you have to raise your income levels. So knowing why you want to do something, then the who else wins with that is really important. Even a goal like running a marathon that you might think, okay, this is a physical goal. It'll be like a great accomplishment. You might think, well, who else would win with that? Well, I'll give a personal example. So the first couple of marathons I ran, our kids were really little. And I thought, well, maybe it would inspire them and both of them just ran the Chicago Marathon. They did phenomenally well, wow. both of them, the same year of their first marathon. It could also be the last several I ran were to raise money for charity. And one of them was for the American Cancer Society. And I ran with my sister-in-law who was, has since passed away, but she had ovarian cancer. And uh, one of my clients was one of the photographers during the race. She got a picture of my back and I sent it to Andrea and she goes, Ellen, you can't imagine how important this is to me. I always thought I would be able to run a marathon and obviously I can't now. And I, I'm going to cry. I felt like I was, you, you know, with you on your back. Wow. And um, so it makes our goals just so much more meaningful when we can have someone else there. And then I think in part of the, from going from goal, getting to goals, from goal setting to goal getting, it's what do you believe about it? You know, sometimes for years when I'd work with my business coach at the end of the year, we would do goal setting. And after about six years, seven years, I realized I was walking around with the goal, with the belief that I never reached my business goals. Well, that is not a helpful goal. I mean, a helpful <laughs> belief, right? That I never reached my business goals because that's exactly what showed up. And so to be just aware of that, so you can start to shift them to a belief that is more helpful. Excellent. And I know there's one other piece that I want to make sure we touched on because uh, there's a great story in the book itself, uh, but the giving people the the okay to daydream. And you talked about the five-step deliberate daydream process. Can you mm. share a little bit about that as well? Yeah. The reason I call it deliberate daydream is I had been to Ghana a bunch of times to, I worked with a scholarship fund there. And one of the young people that was a recipient of our scholarship is this young man named Mustafa. And mm -hmm. we were walking through the community one day and he said to me, Auntie Ellen, is it okay that I daydream? And I was like, well, everybody daydreams. What do you mean? He goes, well, ever since I was little, I would imagine myself going to university and I didn't even know anyone who ever went to high school. 
in because at the time you used to have to pay for high school in Ghana. Now the government pays for it. And um, but I would picture it and how I would feel. Well, Mustafa ended up graduating with an engineering degree. And I realized that he was doing this visualization process that I'd been teaching for years without actually even knowing he was doing it. So part of the process, and I'm such a believer in the power of our minds, is to first of all, be clear, where do you want to go? And then in your mind's eye, imagine you accomplishing that goal as if it's happening right now and seeing where are you, what does the air feel like, who's there with you, every detail, are there aromas in the air, and then noticing how you feel as you're achieving this goal, and then thinking about your first next step. So we also have to take action. You know, visualizing things is fabulous. And we usually have to do the work too. Well, that was one of the, the next quote that came from that, the gain traction through action. I think that I thought that was great. So I really, that's one of the things I took out of that. Uh, so I want to make sure that uh, we share where our audience can find your book, Messages for Money, uh, also how they connect with you uh, and learn more about what you do, some of the one-on-one stuff, the speaking engagements that you participate in. How can they learn more about you? Yeah, thank you so much. So Messages from Money uh, is available on Amazon and you can get it in, in the um, audio version, Kindle, hard copy, whatever way you like to consume your reading material. Um, and if you go to messagesfrommoney.com, you can learn about my con- my intuitive financial consultations and just more in general um, about me at ellenrogan.com. And it's E-L-L-E-N-R-O-G-I-N.com. And if you go to ellenrogan.com slash goodies, you can download a copy of my free of my first book, Great With Money, for free. And we're going to make sure we put all this in the show notes. So uh, if anybody missed anything, we'll make sure we uh, we know where to get that. Thank you so much. There's so many more uh, topics and nuggets that I, I think we could be talking about from the book. I actually considering it, uh, you know, when we have a prospective client, they go through our our new our process together. At the end, we usually share a book with them uh, as part of the final deliverable package with their uh, their simply retirement roadmap. Uh, and I'm definitely considering this being the the new book that we're going to share for uh, for our new prospective clients. Whether they work with us or not, I think there's so much they can get out of this, uh, out of your new book. Uh, So thank you so much for joining us today. Please be sure to connect with Ellen and her new book, Messages for Money. Thank you for listening. I also want to have Ellen on to discuss her book because it is going to be part of a special event. Our third annual International Women's Day is going to be March 8th, and this book will be included as part of our raffle prizes as her book, Picture Your Prosperity, was in this past year. Uh, And our objective with this event is very simple. It is a celebration of women. This is not a seminar. There's no sales pitch, just a celebration of women. And as I've said many times, I am the man I am today because of the women in my life. So if you're in the DFW area and you'd have some interest in joining us, please go to blakewealthmanagement.com slash IWD 2024 to learn more and RSVP. As always, I want to share, please visit our website if you want to learn more about us. But I wanted to wrap up this episode a little differently. And I actually wanted to share my favorite message for money from Ellen's book. And I think it may be the very last one, uh, but it was message for money. I'm so grateful for you. I know you're on your path to prosperity. You've already shed many of the limits that have kept us apart in the past. Please know and always remember that I am here for you. Let's have fun together and do meaningful work in the world. I am walking this path with you. Very, very nice. I love it. And thank you both. Thank you for listening today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. 
That's it for today's episode of the Simply Retirement Podcast. We hope you found our insights and advice helpful in planning for a fulfilling retirement. Don't forget to take action on what you've learned today. Visit our website at blakewealthmanagement.com to learn more about our firm and review our Simply Retirement Roadmap process to get you on the right path to the retirement you deserve. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Thank you for joining us on this journey, and we look forward to helping you achieve your retirement goals. Remember, retirement is not the end of the road. It is the start of a new journey. So embrace it and make the most of it. Until next time, take care. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analyses of Blake Wealth Management. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Blake Wealth Management or RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor, Blake Wealth Management, and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.